And if you've got your Bible, you might want to turn to 1 John. Might just fall there now, but it's getting used to it. You okay? Better. Good. <laughs> All right. I want to start uh, this morning with a, a question. Um, have you ever been helped in your Christian walk by a good Christian teacher? Yeah. Oh, I see a lot of affirmatives there. That's good. That's good. Did that teacher, did that teacher help you understand and apply the Bible to your life? Yes. Yeah, that's happened? Okay, that's good. Well, I, it's happened to me too. I would say a hearty yes to that. I've been, I've been helped that way more than I could probably even say. I've been fortunate enough to sit under some really excellent Bible teachers and preachers and even scholars and good teachers, of course, in our day can be accessed uh, through books or recordings or videos or podcasts and all kinds of good stuff out there. Also, there's a lot of really bad stuff out there. So you got to be a little bit careful, but that's another subject. But uh, we, can't, we cannot only access good and wise teachers today. We, c we can sit under great teachers from hundreds of years ago, too, because we have their books and their sermons frequently. Favorite, favorites of mine are um, J.C. Ryle. We were talking before the service with somebody about the Anglican Church, and he was a great, great preacher in the Anglican Church, and there weren't very many of those, but he was just totally committed to Scripture. J.R. Miller's another guy I love. These are guys that have been dead for more than 100 years, but they convict me, they help me stay centered on the right things, and they're awesome. People still love Matthew Henry's commentaries. Those came out in 1710, so they've been around for a long time. People still use those. R.C. Sproul recently passed away, but I have his books, his lectures are online, and I learn and grow through men like that. So teachers are helpful, and I would use the word essential for the life and health of the church. But what if somebody told you that human teachers are unbiblical and that they told you that the Bible itself says that you don't need human teachers? What would you say to them? Well, you might say, where does it say that? Where does the Bible say we don't need human teachers? And they might say, 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. So you, you open your Bible real quick and you look at that and you go, hmm. It says, you have no need for anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you all things. Okay, church is over. <laughs> no more sermons for me. I'm leaving after the songs from now on. No Bible studies either. It's just going to be me, the Holy Spirit, and my study Bible. Oh, study Bible. Somebody wrote the notes in that study Bible. Some human, okay, it's just me, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible. That's the way it's going to be from now on. So I got to get rid of that study Bible. Are, when people say that kind of thing, are they right about that? Um, it, because that's what it says. Or if not, uh, why not? Why um, They're quoting the Bible, so that's something I want to address this morning. Both that question and kind of how we deal with texts like that or people that bring up ideas that might seem contrary to what we normally think or experience. So last time we stopped at verse 24 in 1 John, so we're going to pick it up at verse 25. So this is what it says. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. 
There it is. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. So these verses are part of what we talked about last time which is the endurance test. So John has been talking about true Christians and false Christians and how do you tell the difference. And there's these different signs or um, aspects that would mark a person as a true Christian. Of course we can't read hearts so we don't always know but these are definitely things that should be there. A true Christian we said uh, in the early part of chapter 2 is obedient to the God's commandments. They care about God's commandments. They want to be holy people. True Christians love the brothers and sisters in the church. That was the second test, the love test. True Christians don't leave the true Jesus for a false Jesus. That's another test of the true Christians. And the last one was really important and that's why he's writing the letter because some people in these churches that John is writing to had left for a very twisted version of Jesus, a, a cult. So he tells those who remained he, he wants to tell them why they left or what was th that there was not there was no salvation there that they were not of us he talked about that we talked about that previously but he also wants to say why you didn't leave what's going on with you that you didn't leave why did you stay true to Jesus and the reason they never fell for the made up Jesus is that God himself keeps us God keeps us he does that through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That's, that's what he wanted to share with them. So back up to verse 20 real quick. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. So we talked about the anointing when we were back in verse 20. That's the Holy Spirit being present in our lives. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit indwelling them and the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in us keeps us from buying into claims of people that would deny Christ. He keeps us in the truth about Jesus and he makes the truth dear to us so we, we would never want to leave because he makes Christ so wonderful to us that we would never abandon him. When we see the beauty and the glory of Jesus there's just no substitutes out there that match that, you know. And some were lured away from the church by this cult. And this ancient cult was called Gnosticism, Gnostics. And the Gnostics are the ones who said Jesus wasn't the Christ. So they believed the lie that he mentions here in this verse. Um, their Christ was, we talked about last time, he was a spiritual being. And there's this man, Jesus, and this spiritual being, sort of a demigod, came down on him and took over for him when he got baptized. And then... He taught these wonderful truths and then right before he got crucified this being left him to this poor man Jesus dying on the cross. So that's what they believe. Their, their Christ came to earth to tell us secret knowledge to free our spirits from our flesh. Had nothing to do with sin, had nothing to do with atonement or anything like that. That was what they left for because they believed that. So John says in verse 22, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. In verse 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. So you can't have the Father if you deny the Son. They are intimately united and they're one divine essence. So if you drop Jesus, you will never be reconciled to the Father. And if you choose to adopt a different Jesus that didn't solve your sin problem then you're not going to be reconciled to the Father either. 
But verse 24 tells us that the good news about Jesus that they originally heard is the very thing that has to abide with them, to stay with them, to continue with them. So he says, as for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. Typical John language, very simple but profound, profound truths. So let the gospel abide in you and you will continue in the Lord. So he's talking about the very first things that they heard. Who Jesus is and what he has done for us. The essence of the gospel. So we must always come back to the gospel. Always come back to the gospel. You've never been a Christian so long that you shouldn't go back to the gospel and preach the gospel to yourself regularly. That's how we stay faithful and true and appreciative of our great Savior. And you know where the gospel leads? He tells you right here. Eternal life. Eternal life. Verse 25. This is the promise which he himself made to us. Eternal life. So we have the very promise of Jesus himself. So John who wrote our little letter here. In his gospel he mentions eternal life. So many times. So many times. You could actually call it the gospel of eternal life. Because he, he talks about it. Jesus talks about it all the time. Let me give you some examples. So he talks about the promise which he himself made to us. Here's just a few uh, examples from John's gospel. John 3.15. Whoever believes will in him have. Good. Eternal life. Good. John 3.36. He who believes in the son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the son will not see life. The wrath of God abides on him. John 5.24. Jesus speaking. Truly I say to you. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me. Has eternal life. And does not come into judgment. But is passed out of death into life. John 6.40. This is the will of my father. That everyone who beholds the son. And believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. John 6.47 Truly, truly I say to you he who believes has eternal life. John 10.28 I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There's a lot of security there. Is there not? Maybe the closest tie in the gospel to 1 John linguistically and theologically um, is the great prayer that Jesus made at the Last Supper in John chapter 17. So 1 John, 1 John 2.23 says, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Now listen to Jesus' words from John 17.3 in the High Priestly Prayer. He actually defines what eternal life is. He said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. He's, he's praying, right? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life is knowing the Father and the Son. That's why faith can't be a game of uh, religious speculation or personal preference 
or anything like that. Our faith in Christ is not a philosophy. It's not a basis for morality. It's not a way of life, though it touches on all of those things. It is knowing the Father and the Son, and those things flow out of that. It, it does become a way of life. It does, there is a philosophy to it. There is morality in it. But those things rightly ordered flow out of knowing God. They're, they're not the same thing as knowing God. There's not a, they're not a substitute for knowing God. It's not a man-made thing. This is something God does and the Holy Spirit teaches us. So it's God's revelation of himself. Why does he do that? For the salvation of sinners. Faith is knowing the Father and the Son, the Savior. So there is no eternal life in religion, religious methods, works, rituals, or any kind of man-made ideas. Only in Christ is eternal life. And the Spirit tells us that. So eternal life is not over there. That group doesn't have it. Those people aren't having it. It's what you heard from the beginning, John says. So there was an outside group luring people away from Christ, trying to do that, and some people left. And he says, those people that left were not of us. But there's always people trying to do that. So what you heard from the beginning has to abide. And what was that? It was the gospel. It's who Jesus is and what he did for us. Okay, let's go back to the question we started with. What if somebody told you that human teachers are unbiblical and told you the Bible itself says you don't need teachers and they pointed to 1 John 2.27 to tell you that? What are you going to do with that? Now I'm just going to use this as sort of an example of how to work with the Bible when people bring up something to you that, oh, uh, uh, I, I don't know. What, you know, you kind of have that. You didn't expect that thing. So let me read that again. Verse, 1 John 2.27. As for you, the anointing, so that's the Holy Spirit, which you receive fr from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you abide in him. See? You've got no need. Why are you sitting here? What are you doing? Now, I could answer them. I could say, well, you know, my experience is that I do need human teachers because I've learned so much from them. I could say that, and that would be a true thing. They would say, as we sometimes say to people, you know what? The truth comes from the Bible, not from your experience. Oh, yeah, they got me on that one. So, uh, And that's often true. I mean, experience isn't nothing, but it's not... It's not the main thing, right? It's not the highest thing. The Word of God is the highest thing. That rules everything. That interprets my experience for me. So there's, is there a proper answer to understanding the text that allows you to still sit here under somebody teaching you? Well, the question, the question of should you reject Bible teachers because of what verse 27 says Saul did this in Sunday school this morning. It's a hermeneutical question. He used that big word. It's a hermeneutical question. A what? <laughs> That's a four-syllable word. What are you throwing that out for? What they used to call those? $64 words or something? But um, $10 words? College words? Hermeneutics is the art and science of Bible interpretation. That's all that word means. Hermeneuto, hermeneuo is a Greek word in the Bible, so it comes from that. Hermeneutics is the art and science of biblical interpretation. It's a set of principles that we use to interpret the Bible. Even, you could call them rules. And those rules keep you from being a sloppy Bible student, okay? Because there's a lot of sloppy Bible teaching in the world. 
because they don't know the rules or they don't want to keep them or they don't want to follow them. You know what it is really hermeneutics? It's just common sense. It's common sense applied to written principles that written down. Evangelical hermeneutics, in other words Bible people hermeneutics, starts with the full inspiration of the Bible. So we believe that the Bible is fully inspired by God. And Saul went through that in Sunday school this morning, why we believe that. Every now and then we offer a class in hermeneutics here at AFBC, but uh, often we mention the first three rules of hermeneutics, of Bible interpretation. The first three rules, and most of you know what they are. First one is context, right? And the second one is context, and the third one is context, right? That's right, yeah. I could, I could see Aaron just, just ready to bite at that question, yeah. Context, context, and context are the first three rules. Then you start having more rules after that. But that's the most important thing. So in this passage that we're looking at today, in 1 John chapter 2, the immediate context is not about godly, Bible-centered teachers, like the ones that I turn to and that teach me. It's not about them. Verse 27 follows verse 26. And verse 26, is this is context now, right? It's putting us in their situation. What does verse 26 say? Well, John actually tells you why he's writing the book, the letter in verse 26. That's, that's, he's telling you why. Verse 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. That's why he's writing. That's the context. So he calls those deceivers, back in verse 22, he calls them liars. They're lying about Jesus. So first, we should notice that that is the main concern there. The anointing which you have received from him abides in you, verse 27, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. So that anyone, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, is anyone trying to deceive you. I mean, that's pretty clear from the context that that's what he's talking about there. Anyone trying to deceive you from a group outside, like the Gnostics, or anyone trying to deceive you from within the church as well. So the Gnostics claimed they had new truth. They had fresh truth. They had something different than what you heard at the beginning. But God has provided all the truth we need through the apostles' doctrine and teaching, right? And John describes those things as the things you heard from the beginning. That's the word of God. Right, so you have all things needful in the word of God written by prophets and apostles. And while John was alive, his oral teaching or his letters that he was writing, he was the really old guy when after the other apostles had all died or been killed. So you don't need anyone from outside with reinterpretations of Jesus that are contradicting what you've heard from the beginning. That's the context. Anyone who is an antichrist, anyone who denies the Father and the Son, anyone who tries to move you away from the things that you heard at the beginning. That's what anyone is talking about really in this context. You already have the truth, verse 24, the things you heard from the beginning and the spirit and the anointing that you have that affirms the truth that you already have. So no very clean cut 18 year old elders riding bicycles <laughs> or sweet little old ladies with little magazines that come to your door. Uh, they don't have any new information for you that you need to look to um, beyond what you have heard from the beginning. 
what's in the scriptures. So the immediate context is for people already following the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. They don't need new teachers bringing in new truth, which is really twisted truth, right? Because they already have it. And they're already abiding in the truth through what the apostles have brought them. Okay, so that makes sense. But what if I hear you, me say that and I think... <laughs> Well, I'm still sort of troubled by those words in verse 27. You know, you have no need for anyone to teach you. I mean, that's what it says. So I'm still not totally convinced about all this stuff. So even if John is thinking about cultists, he does say anyone. Okay, good point. So let's apply hermeneutical principles. I love that word. So context is first and second and third. And that helped. So now we're going to broaden the context to the whole New Testament, okay? And there's another rule of hermeneutics that talks about how you do that. What, when you're bringing the context out of the immediate context and you're including the whole Bible or the whole New Testament in our case. That's what we're talking about. The rule is called this. Scripture interprets Scripture, right? So if there's ever something that's a little bit wonky and you like really don't quite understand, you say, well, what else does the Bible say about this particular subject? That, that's the way you deal with these kinds of things. The Bible's not going to contradict itself because God wrote it and God's not self-contradictory. So you always want to bring in other related scriptures. And if it's a really big question, you want to bring in every other related scripture. But really all you have to do usually is bring in a few other related scriptures that are related to this idea and just see if that idea that you don't need anyone teaching you is, is a biblical idea. So sometimes understanding texts at first glance that just don't quite seem right, you can really quickly solve the problem by context, just looking at the context. That usually fixes it right there. And then the other way is to bring in other scriptures on the same subject, okay? So other scriptures are very helpful in keeping you from being a sloppy Bible student, from drawing the wrong conclusions about the text that you're studying or looking at that particular day. So part of scripture interpret scripture is this, another rule, a clear scripture interprets an unclear scripture. Some things in the Bible are a little bit foggy, like you're saying, what, what exactly is he saying there? Other things are like super clear. So super clear clears up unclear things. You know, you go with the super clear things. Now I think, I think personally, anyone, the word anyone in 1 John 2.27 is clearly talking about those who are trying to deceive us in verse 26. That's the context. So it solves the problem for me. But let's say you're not sure about that. You think anyone means it should be just you and your Bible and the Holy Spirit. By the way, you and your Bible and the Holy Spirit can go a long way. That's a really good thing. But what does the rest of Scripture say about human teachers? What does it say? If other Scriptures contradict your conclusion on any kind of problematic text, you should probably abandon your conclusion, right? You say, well, oh, I was wrong about that because here's what the Scriptures say overall. So does the rest of the New Testament support the idea that listening to other Bible teachers is a good thing or I should forsake them? Does it support either of those ideas? So if you know your Bible, probably verses are leaping at in your head right now. Okay? Like what Paul said about Christ's gifts to the church in Ephesians chapter 4, for example. Verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Oh. Jesus gave 
teachers to the church. Okay, I need to include that in my thinking here. So beyond just those receiving divine revelation, which would be apostles and prophets, there are also given to the church pastors and teachers. So we don't have really apostles and prophets running around anymore. I know some people claim to be, but you know, there's actually a, there's actually a biblical test for prophets and nobody's passed those tests yet that I've known. But, um, but here, there are pastors and teachers. The apostles and prophets, their, their work is right here. We've got it. It's scripture. That's, that's inspired revelation from God directly. So we're looking about for like verses about teachers and here they are, pastors and teachers. Now in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, there's a pretty long list of spiritual gifts that God gives to the church. Verse 6, Romans 12, 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. So we all have gifts. Everybody in this room that knows Christ has a spiritual gift. And then he starts listing them. If prophecy according to the portion, proportion of his faith. If service in his serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. Or he who gives with liberality. Or he who leads with diligence. So did you hear that word in there somewhere in the middle of all that? He who teaches in his teaching, right? So that's a spiritual gift for the church, those that are teaching. In the same way, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28 says, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Teachers. So clearly teachers who are not apostles or prophets are important for the ministry of the church. In fact, the New Testament even has a warning, a special warning for teachers in the church. James 3.1, let not many of you become teachers, brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. That's, that's quite a warning, actually. It scares me. God, God pays close attention to teachers in the church and how they're handling the scripture. And they better take it seriously because he takes it seriously and will be judged for how we handle his scriptures. Paul tells young pastor Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15, and he was not a prophet, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. A little bit after that in chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Preach the word. Teach the word. So the man is to preach the Bible with great patience and instruction. He's the teacher. Shepherds, pastors, teach. So does 1 John 2.27 say you don't need human teachers you only need the anointing. Is that what he's saying? Well, that really doesn't fit both the immediate context and it certainly goes against the rest of the New Testament, which is all these passages we just read. God does provide an anointing, the Holy Spirit, to teach us and God provides human teachers to shed light on the scriptures. So by all means, study your Bible, pray for understanding that the Spirit of God would direct you to a true understanding and a, a, an accurate and faithful personal application of the scriptures. That is great. That is honorable. That's a precious thing to do. It's a necessary thing to do. Every Christian should be doing that. But don't ignore Christ's gift of teachers. Christianity is not a solo sport. It never has been. 
You're called to be part of a body, a church body, and there are teachers in that body. Also, I want you to consider that it is your job to evaluate Bible teachers. You need to test them to make sure that they're well grounded in the Word of God and that they use hermeneutical principles properly. That's your job. Now some Christian teachers get a little fanciful at times. Not staying real close to the text and kind of making up some of their own things or their own ideas or they just take things out of context and make things up that have nothing to do with what the text is actually saying. That does happen. Some teachers are absolutely bonkers in the way that they handle the Bible and some pretty famous people are like that so you need to be really discerning and careful about that as well. Um, don't go with bonkers. So you have to keep you have to keep teachers accountable and honest about what they're doing. So keep me honest. And if I misuse scripture, you can bring it to my attention. If I have a habit of misusing scripture, you need to fire me. I'm serious about that. You need to let me go. You know, you need to do something else like sell shoes or something. <laughs> But you all should know the Bible well enough, and if you're new, that's fine, just start growing in your word, understanding of the Word of God, but you should all know it well enough to take note of teachers that are misusing texts of the Bible and teaching false things. So correct them if you can. If they're just a little fanciful sometimes, you can mark them caution. If they misuse scripture all the time, toxic is the right word. They're poisonous, so you need to stay away. So put a skull and crossbones on them. <laughs> Toxic means run away, run away, because they're unworthy of your time. But you should heed Bible teachers, you should listen to Bible teachers who do accurately bring an understanding of what the Bible actually means. And let the Lord use that to inform you and challenge you and shape you to apply what you've learned. You know, we're all very imperfect creatures and we need constant reminders so that we don't drift that's why there's a church. That's why that's one of the reasons for the church being in the world so that we're together and we encourage each other and we don't drift. So that's what we're supposed to be involved with. That's what the church is all about and that's why God gave the church shepherds who who teach the flock. They're not infallible. They're not infallible. I'm certainly not infallible. But if they labor hard in teaching, then they're worth listening to and weighing what they have to say. That's God's design for his people. He always knows best. Have you ever noticed that? So follow what the scriptures say about that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in every place you raise up teachers of the word. They are your gifts to us. Give us teachable hearts when they instruct us in the word of God. And give us discernment if they fail in some way. Help us grow so our light shines brighter and we can help others find Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.